Live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas Studios. We definitely have to win more games than we lose for sure. This is the Press Box. We checked the analytical data at halftime, and, and according to that data, you know, our, our defensive shot quality, we would have been number one in the league. With Grady and Bischoff. Uh, because they were contested. You know, they moved the ball on some of them. Some of them, uh, it was by design. Certain guys that we gave, uh, you know, shifted even more off of, off the ball. You know, credit to them. They, they, made, they made shots tonight, you know, 17 threes and a half. That's it's incredible. On ESPN Las Vegas. Here we go. Maybe. today i don't know oh, I hear you. there you go i hear you i don't awesome. know if that means anybody else does but awesome. i hear you and i did not hear you yesterday so jared can talk and not just yell in the background i'm looking outside and it's i do not see day. a police officer pushing a car up the street which i'm very give it time ed that's true we just got out of the air <laughs> for anybody that missed yesterday's show which might be a lot of you uh for through no fault of your own um we're in a secondary studio because our studio is being remodeled. Uh, yesterday was a little bit of a mess. Jared's mic didn't work. We had two working mics in the studio. We had but the degenerate also yelling in the yes, background. Yes, Danny was also here yelling from the corner. Uh, but Jared's mic. <laughs> I mean, works he does today. that uh, on Thursdays. <laughs> Jared's mic works, uh, which gives me false hope for the rest of the show to go well. And we saw a cop. From our window, that's right, pushing that's a right. car up the street with another person, and we saw a man when it got to the top of the street running and sprinting down the street, pretending just to, help, to have helped, pretending to have helped. Yeah, the exactly. Pro move. pro move, pro move by that guy. All right, so good news. Uh, I figured out what doesn't work today. Oh boy, the show, the first bite. Oh, there you go. I got it. I got that to I jury rigged that. <laughs> Are the Golden Knights the best team in the West? Not that team I saw last night. <laughs> Come on. They got listen, 14 seconds in there down to those guys. Listen, they still got the most points in the West. Yeah. They still have the best record by yeah. points percentage. Right now, they're the number one overall seed in the West. Six in a row for Colorado. They're coming on strong. They're peaking at the wrong time. Okay. It's the end of February. You don't want to be good now. Well, you don't want to be bad. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Just make the playoffs. <laughs> it's hockey. The West is going to be the Western Conference playoffs are going to be stupid. There's not maybe Colorado gets there, but nobody actually thinks that the Golden Knights or the Dallas Stars are truly like a dominant team. No, it's so like the Mountain West Conference. the The West is going to be stupid like there's gonna be hey a wild card team knocks off the number one seed in the west in the first round we're gonna have like you're gonna have seattle beat the knights right well no seattle's bad we keep saying that seattle's probably gonna miss but like calgary's gonna get into a wild card spot and beat the abs in the first round or something like that like it's it's wide open it's a fairly bad conference i mean it's not completely awful but it's not a there's no dominant team in the west and I think the West playoffs are going to be a lot of fun in terms of upsets. Upsets. So, but let me ask you this. Right now, one seed would be the Golden Knights in the Pacific. One seed in the Central would be... Well, now it's Colorado. Colorado passed them last night. If that was a Western Conference Finals matchup, do you believe the Golden Knights can beat the Avalanche in a playoff series? Who's in goal? (laughs) 
<laughs> Is it the kid they just brought up from, from Silver Knights? Uh, so maybe Logan Thompson, maybe Laurent Francois, maybe, <laughs> maybe Aiden Hill, Hill, maybe Michael Hutchison, yes. who is now the backup. I don't like much of Michael Hutchison's uh, chances against the Avalanche. So Is Kale McCarr playing? <laughs> he might be. Who knows? <laughs> he might get another concussion if he comes back. So this year the Golden Knights and Avs played three times. Uh, the Avalanche won two of those three games. One of those games they played was a game in which both teams were extremely injured. And afterwards, we even came in and said, the game doesn't really, really matter. mean much because right. need, this is, if they play in the postseason, this is what neither of these teams will look, look like. like. So it's a really small sample size. Colorado won two of three. Two of the games were one-goal games. Like the, it's, I don't think there's a lot to take away from the regular season series, but those are the top two teams in the West. And I do feel like if they play in a postseason series, it's going to be really hard for the Golden Knights to win that series. Because where are they better than Colorado? Uh, is McCarr playing? <laughs> we'll say he's playing. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, are they are they deeper than Colorado? I think like their defensive group is probably deeper Overall. than Colorado, but. If Kale McCarr's playing, he's better than every single defenseman right. the Golden Knights have. Um, I, maybe you can point to and say the structure Bruce Cassidy has built might lend itself to some very low-scoring games, and and defensively the Golden Knights might play right, might play really well in front of their right. goaltender, even if it is Aiden Hill or Michael Hutchison or whoever it is. But it just feels like the Golden Knights are going to have a really tough time beating that team, which. If the Golden, if the Colorado Avalanche are healthy and good to go, well, everybody's going to have a tough time beating. It's not exactly right, but it just felt like last night was sort of an indication that the Golden Knights are not the top of the Western Conference, even though they are there in the standings. It just very much felt like, oh, if they've got to play a full strength Colorado in the postseason, struggle. Yeah, it's going to be really, really tough to beat that team. So. They're still in first. Uh, and even if you look at the analytics last night, it, it wasn't a massive route for Colorado. The Golden Knights were close to even uh, going into the third period of that game. So it wasn't like it was a complete domination, but they got beat and they were down one nothing after 14 seconds. It wasn't the greatest night for the Golden Knights. Now, are you ready to overreact to one game for Ivan Barbashev? For Barbashev? Ivan Barbashev? <laughs> he was very good. What do you have, one shot? <laughs> He was not good at all. He was not good. One shot attempt, one hit. Uh, His Corsi was below 50%. His expected goals was below 50%. The most memorable thing that he did was hit Jack Eichel. Uh, As Eichel Eichel skated into the offensive zone, Barbashev just kind of skated into him. And it led to a turnover because Eichel got hit by his own teammate. And Colorado got a rush chance out of it. They didn't score on it, but they got an opportunity, a uh, scoring chance out of it. And that was the most memorable thing he did. Like, there there wasn't much that Barbashev was like, oh, yeah, look at that. That's a great play. Like, he hit a guy on his first shift. Granted, that led to Colorado getting it out of the defensive zone. I, there wasn't a lot from Ivan Barbashev in one game that made you say, oh, that's why they traded for him. That's why they him. traded for him. Gave up a first round, or the first-round play. Right. First-round pick. And... Maybe now that he's on the Golden Knights, the more important question or the more important observation is he didn't really do anything that made you say, oh, that's why he's on the first line. Right. Because that's where Bruce Cassidy chose to play him. And how long do you think that lasts? Well, if he keeps it in his own teammates, not long. (laughs) 
if he keeps running into his own guys, I don't think that can last very long. Hey, no Ca- matter what line he's on. Cassidy didn't pull him no off that line, line he's on. in the entire game. Even though he hit Eichel, he left him on that line. So he takes Paul Cotter's spot. So that first line right now is Barbashev, Eichel, Marcia and Marcia so. As a line, they were under 50% in Corsi and expected goals. They allowed the most shots, scoring jan- chances, and high danger chances of any line last night. Now, they did play the most minutes, but they weren't exactly uh, shutting anything down defensively. And the Avalanche scored against that line as well. And it's probably not 100% Barbashev's fault, but he was kind of just standing around in the defensive zone, not doing anything when the Avalanche had a cross-ice pass that led to a goal. I can't imagine Barbashev stays on the first line very long. Not if he doesn't improve greatly. Yeah. I mean, the the only the only reason he's there now is because Cassidy is trying to have depth throughout his lineup, and his first line is not his three best players. Right, right. It's it's his best center, probably his best winger, winger. and then they're trying to bring along a bottom six guy like it was Paul Cotter. Paul Cotter, and now it's Ivan Barbashev. So maybe he stays in there because of that, but. I can't postseason wise. I can't imagine Ivan Barbashev being on that top line. It just it doesn't make too much sense unless he's going to be significantly better than he was last night. Last night. And here's the thing: we saw again the numbers for this first line, worst defensive line they had last night. When they were on the ice with Miko Rantanen last night, one point five expected goals nah. rate for the first line for the Golden Knights. That's a true. They basically did nothing when they right. played against Rantanen. You can't have that from your top line. If you're going to play a series against the Colorado Avalanche and your top line is going to get destroyed every time they're on the ice with Miko Rantanen, then you're not going to win. You're probably getting swept. And that's what it feels like would happen if Ivan Barbashev is out there because all of the analytics before the Golden Knights got him were saying this guy's one of the worst defensive forwards in the league. Right. And we kind of saw that last night. And again, it was Colorado. It wasn't, you know, it's one of the better teams in the West. It wasn't a middle of the road team where he probably looks better. But I just, to me, it's hard to imagine Barbashev's on the first line when we get to the postseason. Is it Cotter? Does Kelly McCrimmon feel more pressure to trade for a top six winger? Perhaps after last night. (laughs) (laughs) Perhaps perhaps he saw one game and said, wait a minute, what did we do here? I better go get somebody. Bruce Cassidy's options right now, if he's going to keep the lineup similar to what it is, obviously he could blow it up completely and try it start from scratch there. But that third line has been Carrier, Stevenson and Kessel. And they've been pretty good for an extended period of time now. So Bruce Cassidy's options for that first line, Paul Cotter, Ivan Barbashev, or you break up some of those other lines. So you could put Will Carrier there. You could put Chandler Stevenson there. You could even put Phil Kessel there, but then you're breaking up that third line. That's been pretty good. You could also put Riley Smith there, but then you're breaking up that second, second line. line. And so I I don't think Bruce Cassidy has great options for his first line left winger right now. And I think there's going to be some pressure for the front office to go get a guy to play there. But I think they might have missed out. I mean, Timo Meyer, they didn't get Timo Meyer. Patrick Kane hasn't been traded, but all but indications appear he's going to the Rangers. New York. Those were the two big names. Uh, A lot of the other sort of secondary guys have already been traded as well. Maybe there's somebody that hasn't been, you know, considered available yet that becomes available in the next three days. But 
it just feels like they really need a different guy to trade for to play in that left wing spot on the first line. But I don't know if that guy's available for the Golden Knights to trade for. And what are they giving up for it? They don't have a great do prospect they, pool. Do they have any prospects yeah. left? They do. But they've got one more first-round pick. Yes, that's right. They, Brandon Brisson is out how, there. How nervous is that guy right now? <laughs> Looking around saying, I'm the only first-rounder left. Probably, is that price? That kid's probably so scared at this point. Like, where am I going? I know I'm going somewhere. I'm not staying with these guys. They have they have Barbashev, or excuse me, they have Brisson, and then they still they have their first round pick in the upcoming draft. So, well, they've got a future first they right. can trade, and the guy they drafted in the first round. They can just get rid of all of them right now. So, I don't want to overreact to one game. Barbashev, I'm sure, is going to play better than that in, over the course of the next 20 games or whatever they have left. But it it wasn't a promising start for Eva. When you come back from the first period and Dave Gosher on TV asked Shane Knighty, what did you see from Barbashev in the first period? And Shane Knighty says, not much. (laughs) (laughs) Which was one of the best parts of the entire night. Not a great start. All right. We got tickets to give away. Here's what you're going to see. The Jim Ursay Collection. Jared's excited. If you're a music lover, I'll go with you. And a sports fan, this night is for you. Jim Ursay, owner and CEO of the Indianapolis Colts, will exhibit presidential artifacts, historic sports memorabilia from Jackie Robinson and Muhammad Ali, though, and the world's greatest collection of guitars, plus much more. Uh, you can go to jimursaycollection.com for more information. And we've got what do we got? A pair of tickets for you. 702-364-1100 My is mic works the phone today. number. They're VIP tickets. A pair of VIP tickets to the Jim Ursay Collection. This is on March 4th, by the way. 702-364-1100. We'll take caller number 7 at 702-364-1100 for a pair of tickets to the Jim Ursay Collection. I would tell Aaron to, you know, come in humble. I, I would tell him to come in and embrace the city as the best he can. It's, it's definitely a tough market, but I I, I, um, I believe with Aaron's tangibles and what he brings to this t- table as a Super Bowl champion quarterback, um, I believe uh, he has weapons uh, at every position. And uh, I think that's something um, now as Jet fans, as Jet lovers, that um, we can see some high-scoring games. We can see some big victories. I think last year, as, as you watched the team, it came down to a few points of, you know, the team losing by, you know, three points or less, five points or less. And I think uh, having a, a superstar quarterback in Aaron Rodgers, he can definitely put points on the board very quickly, which would help the defense rest much better and they can be more explosive coming out playing on the defensive side of the ball. It's the Press Box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. The NFL Combine is this week. Um, Q Myers is there, by the way. Yeah, Are we, we going to talk there. to him some point this yeah, week? Yeah, he's going to drop in. He's right. going to drop in. From Indianapolis. Uh, Derek Carr is also going to the Combine, and he is going to meet with three teams, according to Ian Rappaport. The Jets, the Saints, and the Panthers. Now, he's already been to New Orleans to meet with the Saints for multiple days. He's already been to New York to meet with the Jets. So the only new team on here is the Panthers. So a couple of things. First off, do you remember last week when we talked about the Panthers and Frank Reich said, I got to evaluate my roster first? Before I meet with anybody, before I do anything? I'm glad he looked at the depth chart and found that Jacob Eason and Matt Corral were on it and said, all right, I evaluated it. Let's go talk to Derek Carr. Carr. 
So the Panthers finally figured out they don't have a quarterback on the roster. Um, but is this an indication that not many teams want Derek Carr if there's only three meeting with him and two he's already met with? It could be, or it could just be Carr having enough positivity from the Saints and Jets to kind of try to limit others. I'm I'm surprised the Bucks. I'm surprised the Bucks yeah. haven't haven't gotten in on it, or at least called a meeting with them or asked to meet with them. Yeah, I mean, there's the the Bucks would make sense uh, as a team. The, the entire NFC South makes some sense, right. but the Bucks would make some sense because right now Kyle Trask is their starter. I mean, we had the report last week from I can't remember who. But they they said the Bucks were were planning or willing to go with Kyle Trask and a free agent signing like Drew Locke. Right, right. Good luck to you on that. What? Good luck to you on that. <laughs> so the Bucks not being interested in Carr is surprising. Yeah, it, like it's a bad division. Whoever lands Carr is going to have a legitimate shot to win that division, and the Bucks would seemingly make a lot of sense there, but. Should we take this to mean Carr ends up with one of these three teams? Yeah, I mean, I think, like I said, he already met with the Saints and the Jets, and he's meeting with them a second time. So I think there's mutual interest on both sides. The Panthers, like you just said, you said their depth chart, they have to have interest in him, and we'll see what he thinks about them when he when he gets together with them. But maybe this is all about who's giving me $35 million a year. Yeah. Who's, and who's going to pay my price? I the Saints kind of can't do that. That was that was one of the takeaways. When he met with the Saints prior to being released, one of the takeaways was the, the way the Saints wanted to structure his contract, and Carr wasn't like, oh, that's... He wasn't fired up right. about that. It was, we don't know what the actual details were, but it wasn't an obvious, oh, yeah, I, I would love right. to sign that right. type of contract. So the Saints... The Saints probably want Carr, but can the Saints actually afford, afford Carr him. if somebody else offers him... A like big deal. Yeah. And the Jets who think he's a first ballot Hall of Famer. Well, they should have already offered him the $35 million then. <laughs> 35 Should have offered him 55 <laughs> If he's a first ballot Hall of Famer. <laughs> so that's... I'm curious what his market is going to be because it... Maybe it is only three teams. And listen, you don't actually need more than... No. I mean... You need someone to give you what you want. Technically, you only need one, but ideally, you need at least two so you can go back to the one that wants you and say, you got to give me a little more because these guys are wanting. Hey, New Orleans, the Jets think I'm a first ballot Hall of Famer. What if the Jets scared off other teams? What if the Bucs were like, well, we'd like Carr, but the Jets called him a first ballot Hall of Famer? (laughs) And even we're not that stupid. (laughs) We can't pay that much money to our quarterback. It'd be great. Would be great if that's actually what happened. So, Derek Carr at the combine meeting with teams. The other interesting combine note. The Packers coaching staff is skipping the combine. This is from Rob Domofsky, who covers the Packers for ESPN. Uh, LaFleur, the head coach in, in Green Bay. LaFleur felt his time was better spent working with the staff on scheme projects because everything from the combine is recorded. They can view it afterward. Uh, Pro Football Talk reported there might be other coaching staffs that end up skipping the combine as well. I mean... This surprises me because usually they're all there watching these watching these prospects in, per, uh, in person, being involved in the meetings, in the in when the, when the kids meet with the with the organization, and I just don't. I know they watch more film than anybody in the world, 
But I don't know if you get the same feeling watching a kid on tape than you would just being there on the field. So the Packers front office is still going. The Packers oh, you, are still yeah, going to be there. The GM has to be there. But the head coach and his staff are not, which there's a couple Josh of McDaniels things. Josh McDaniels is going. There's a couple. Of, I think he's actually talking right he's, now. He's, he's talking today. So there's a couple of things that are interesting on that to me. One, I do wonder how much LaFleur and his coaching staff sort of have an input on who they draft. Right? Maybe he just doesn't have a whole lot of right. input, and he's like, I'm not going to go because you're going to make the decision. Right. Not. So, you know, whatever. Um, but also, I just love the general idea of the Packers being like, this could have been an email. Like, you could just tell us what everybody's 40 time was, and we'll, we'll believe you, and we'll be good with it from there. But the other part of the combine that always seems weird to me is unless there's kids there that had like crazy injury history. All of the players at the Combine have multiple years of college football, multiple years of, oh, we can watch them multiple play years of film. the actual sport, right. not just run a 40-yard dash or how much they can bench or whatever it is. And it all, the Combine always seems like it, at least in the, the, the perception, because it's a big event, like it supersedes a lot of that. But I think a lot of this is the Packers just saying... We see we see these guys on film. If we're going to draft them, we got three, four years of film That's, on these guys. Yeah. Like we we can see what type of player they are. We can see how fast they run in a Maybe game. That's why more people opponent. are thinking of the way the Packers are doing right. it and not going to go. If you're the NFL, don't you require your coaches to go at this point? Well, it's a, I think if you're the NFL, you think it's a bad look because what the NFL does so well. It's a sport that has games for like five months of the year. But they it dominates the news cycle. It's February twenty eighth, oh, sure. and we're yeah. sitting here talking, talking about, about the combine, it, right? They dominate the news cycle for almost the entire year. There's summertime where nothing's happening, but almost the entire year they dominate it. And a big part of that is they do the combine in March when there's should be nothing going on. Free agency hasn't started, none of that. But they do the combine in March, and it's a big deal. It's televised, all of that. If you're the NFL, I think you kind of nudge your coaches and say, "Hey." um, you don't have to actually do a lot of work, but go there and right. and give the Hold media give the media a quote or two and say and say, hey, this is great. We love being at the combine because we want people paying attention to us even when we don't have games. Is he talking right now? I I saw a quote from him this morning. So oh, I, then he's I think, already spoken. I think he's talking. I'd have to go back and find. I didn't actually read what it said, which would have been good uh, radio he's host work if I had. Talking. Yeah, so. Josh McDaniels is at the Combine talking about how they're going to draft the next Josh Jacobs. Coming up next here on ESPN Las Vegas, David Roth joins the show. You know, for the past year, guys, I have gotten up at 7 a.m. and I had to listen to Ed Graney and Tyler Bischoff talk to some guy in New York City about whether or not his dishwasher is working. (laughs) That's a full year of my life that I will never get back. We're back to the press box with Graney and Bischoff. Joining us now from <laughs> Defector is David Roth. We haven't asked you in a couple of weeks. How is the dishwasher? Joining us is the man who gets up every Tuesday morning and talks about how his dishwasher isn't working. <laughs> uh, I'm happy to report that there is some good news here. Oh, Now, I can't give you a timetable, but we're on our uh, third electrician, and I think that this one is the one that's going to work. All right. Because <laughs> here's, I'll be brief about this. 
Uh, last week, when they were um, cutting a mysterious hole in the wall of my kitchen for as part of our uh, ongoing gas line repair in the building, uh, which was not any more fun than it sounds, the new building electrician who is up and is um, overseeing this part of the campaign came up. And he, when I told him, I asked, like, after the super had left and we had a moment to communicate as men, I was like, can you just have your guy put a junction box in behind this dishwasher because no one will do it. And he's like, yeah, that'd take 15 minutes. Um, just give the guy 50 bucks when he's done doing the other thing that he has to do. <laughs> so I'm hoping that this guy, he loves the guy that's going to do it. He was talking him up. I, I, part of me wanted to be like, you don't need to convince me, man. Like, if this guy will do anything in our kitchen, like, you could send me, like, Charles Manson. And I'd be like, well, not, I don't enjoy talking to you, but thank you so much for the junction box. But he's like, yeah, this guy's great. You know, he lives in Bay Ridge. He learned English, actually, by watching Married with Children. So I'm really looking forward to a, a Russian man with an Al Bundy accent making this repair for me at some point in the next week or two. All right. No timeline, though. I uh, I appreciate that the good news for you is you may have found somebody that will put in one specific piece that might lead you getting yes. a dishwasher in like five months. Yeah, well, it's going to be less than it, – it's not going to be months, but it is the sort of thing where I asked them, I was like, you don't have any idea when they're going to ask you to do this, right? And he's like, oh, no, no, definitely. <laughs> so the whole building is basically this big repair project is both succeeding and failing in different places at different times. And this guy who told me that he has to pay $100,000 a year for the insurance necessary to work on buildings like this which explains why a lot of the smaller contractors who were like good were sort of like, no, I don't have money like that. Like he usually works for management companies, but he wants to um, put Al Bundy on this particular task. And I think he said that the guy would be happy to have make an extra $50 um, in 10 minutes worth of work. So where's this guy? I'm hoping that we, way? what's that? Where's this guy been the entire Watch time? Married with Watch children. I know. Gosh, I mean, this is the thing that like, was so frustrating to me about it because I think a lot of the places that I was asking were like, I, you know, was basically asking them to do like a $600, $1,000 type repair. And they were basically looking at it and being like, all right, well, we'll just bump our insurance up by half, you know, so that we're paying like basically all of the money we have to be able to get into your building. And then, yeah, we'll go there and we'll do 30 minutes worth of work for, you for $600. <laughs> I think I just did not rate at all on that uh, timeline, but. What are you going to do? Soon we'll have to come up with something else to talk about. Like sometime in the next five, six months, I really think it's going to happen. All right. Uh, you do not get to take any middle ground. You love it or hate it. The pitch clock, go. So far, I dig it, actually. Um, I think that I don't really care very much about how long baseball games are. Like I care during the season because, like, you know, you got to take the seven train home from a Mets game. That's a long trip. It's annoying. But so far when I've watched spring training games with it, especially uh, watching Max Scherzer over the weekend with it. It seems like it's creating a new space for pitchers to mess around with hitters, and that's like kind of what I'm into as a person who enjoys watching baseball. Like The new rules seem a little arbitrary and I think are going to probably have to be tweaked in time. But so far, what was fun about watching Scherzer, and I think he talked about this a little bit, we talked about it during the game. I don't know to what extent it's been like covered nationally, but it was like really interesting to hear him talking about it. Where he knows that once a batter is in the box and their eyes are up, they can't step out. If they do, they get a strike called on them. And so he would do this thing where he would come set with like 19 seconds left on the pitch clock, 
And then as soon as the batter would look up, he would just stare at them for like 10 seconds, <laughs> and then he would pitch. And you could see, I mean, it was, they were facing the Nationals, so it's the sort of thing where, like, they looked uncomfortable to begin with. Like, they just, they're sort of like, oh, God, I really shouldn't be playing baseball against Max Scherzer. I don't think that's right. But, but it was incredible to see, like, how quickly, and he talked about it during the game, where he was like, you know, whatever, it's just a new thing. We've been game planning for it for a year. But just how, like, it snapped into place as, like, a new place to uh, bother people, which is basically, I think, part of what a pitcher's job is. So I'm optimistic about it. I think the first day when they were like, when they like ended a game with a walk off penalty ball was like pretty bad. But this is, you know, what it's the first three, four games of spring training. Like, this is the time to work that out. Do you think that the umpires will have a little leeway in the regular season more so than spring training? And if it yes. gets down to zero, we're not going to get this every time. Yeah, I don't think that they, even accounting for, like, Major League Baseball umpire brain, which, like, we've talked about <laughs> in here. It's like, turn this over to Angel Hernandez and you have no idea what's going to happen. But there's an element of it where I think that this is where they call it really tight so that it sort of, like, gets seared into the muscle memory of all the different people that are annoyed by it right now. And then, I mean, I really hope, because I don't think anybody wants to end the game with, you know, like bases loaded, bottom of the ninth, you call the um, pitch clock penalty ball and the game is over. Like, fans don't want it. I think even umpires, as much as they love being on TV, like that's not how they want to do it. So my hope is, is that that's the case. I think the one thing that I was concerned about going into it was that I didn't think that, that pitchers would buy in, that they would just be really grumpy about it. And I think that the early returns being that like they actually have decided that they like it because it's a new thing to try to leverage. That was what I was concerned about in terms of whether it would work or not. And if they're going to do that, then it's just a matter of uh, figuring out the best way to apply the rules instead of like everybody protesting it or pretending it's not there by May. Does this lead to more people watching? Because I'm going to watch a lot of baseball during the summer, whether they have a pitch clock or not. But right. I just... I can't imagine there's going to be people that weren't watching that are suddenly like, oh, they're pitching every 12 seconds now. Now I'm intrigued with baseball. Yeah, I think that's – so I was talking to some friends about this the other day too That because I, I think we're exactly the wrong people to assess how well it is or isn't working, right? That like if baseball – but I think also this is like the classic Rob Manfred problem is that every time he talks about baseball, he's talking about, you know, it's like it, it is slow and it does suck and everybody hates it. <laughs> However, it's an American pastime and it's like, you got to like your sport a little more than that. Like, I think the idea that like the way you fix baseball is to have less baseball in it is so obviously wrong that I just don't know how to begin to engage with it. But I do think that like the experience of the game being, more fluid and fun and having less of that like Pedro Baez pacing around and sighing part that like it's always had that, you know, a little bit tighter experience would be welcome. I think like even for people like you and me, they're going to watch anyway, but in terms of bringing in the unconverted, like, I don't know, man, it's, it's a different sort of sport. Like there's not really anything like this that American sports fans are into so I think you just got to try to give the best product to the people that already care about it and assume that, you know, some people will, you know, when they're kids, like the way that, that I did or the way that maybe you all did, you know, like some switch flips in your brain and, it, you know, you vibe with it. But it's not, you know, if you're trying to compete by being like 
more like a Jake Paul boxing match than a baseball <laughs> game, like you're going to lose that. Like you might as well just focus on what you're good at. I just don't know how they're how they're going to adjust their batting gloves. Yeah, see, that's the part that I like. I, as much as it's like a stupid thing that's probably added meaningless hours of sitting around in my life watching Steve Finley adjust and readjust his protective <laughs> cup, there is like that's such a part of baseball to me that it is going to be weird when, you know, like you see, so many of these guys have so many of these rituals. And then so the idea of just getting in there and having to be ready to swing is like, you know, you build all these habits up. At some point, you're just like, so I just put the gloves on and leave them on like an animal? You're just like, We'll see how they do with that. Uh, David Roth, you were the one that was watching college basketball past midnight over Thanksgiving week. Please tell me you watched some college basketball this past weekend where we had one of the greatest weekends of the season. So I had the ultimate, like, kind of, this is a cheesy way of experiencing it. I watched, I think, maybe 45 seconds of the Iowa-Indiana women's game, but I caught the cool part. And so it made me feel good, but at the next day where everybody was like, can anyone edit this Caitlin Clark post I did? Like, did anyone see the game? And I was like, I saw some, I saw some of the game. You know, <laughs> I just definitely caught the, the highlight that everybody saw a million times afterwards in real time. But, yeah, it was uh, – I'm optimistic about, like, the conference tournament season and all this. Like, it's getting to the point where I think I will watch any Big 12 game just for the rest of this year. Even the bad teams hate the good teams so much that it's like, I watched some Oklahoma State last night. Not a good basketball team. But, like, they were doing a lot of shoving and a lot of yelling. So there's, it's been a pretty fun season, all told, in that regard. Especially because, like, so many of the, the legacy teams are just, like, it's really easy to just not watch a UNC game and watch something that's more fun. I think you just might have hit on one of the best arguments against conference expansion. You're not really going to hate your conference opponents when you're randomly adding Central Florida to come play Kansas. Right. Like the the classic UCLA Rutgers rivalry that we're about to get in the Big Ten. Like, what a waste. You know, like, I'm happy that people get to, you know, leave Parsippany and go to Westwood. Like, it's definitely, that's uh, from a cultural enrichment perspective, you can't beat it. But yeah, I mean, at some point, the conferences are so big that the idea of a rivalry becomes like really challenging it already is weird that like you know maryland and nebraska play each other twice a year but yeah you start factoring in west coast teams into that or like whatever making the big 12 have or the whatever sec type like layout when you're in three time zones you're kind of nowhere all right david uh enjoy not having a dishwasher i'm glad you're optimistic and i can't wait to see that hope crushed in a couple of weeks yeah, well, you know, that's what you have me on for. I look forward to uh, paying that one off. And I'm just going to try to treasure this last possibly two weeks of having to wash everything by hand. He's, I want to remember it. He's David Roth from Defector. David, we appreciate Thanks, it. Thanks, David. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Uh, so there's David Roth. And now we've got tickets to give away to go see Bonnie Raitt. She's performing March 15th, 17th, and 18th at the Venetian Theater. And we got a pair of tickets for you. 702-364-1100. That's the phone number if you want a pair of tickets to go see Bonnie Raitt. Be caller number four at 702-364-1100. Text Granny and Bishop at 69187 with the word ESPN. We're rolling today. This is a good song. Ed, do you know what this song is from? It is. It's about to give it away. 
I don't think he knows. Pokemon. Oh, yeah, that's that's something I would be into. <laughs> I'm not into that. Well. Not like Blake Martinez. Blake Martinez is. Yes. Um, I'd be into it as much as Blake Martinez if I was making this much money. So Blake Martinez uh, retired from the NFL. He was on the Raiders. Retired from the NFL middle of the season in November this past year. Uh, he told CNBC that he has made $5 million in the last seven months buying and selling Pokemon cards. Okay, are you into Pokemon? I like Pokemon. I do not own Pokemon cards. Okay. So you don't you can't kind of explain this this is yes this is a bit of a foreign world to me as well jared how would he make five million dollars well if it's the card that i'm thinking of i didn't click on the story but there's so there used to be limited edition versions of cards that were either promos or that they sent out through magazines and there was one that was a contest for like a fan magazine in Japan where there's only 30 copies of this card. And so if you're a collector, if you're a collector, and the whole premise of the show is collection, literally got to catch them all. There's only 30 copies of this. Uh, one of the more famous examples that I always enjoyed was that, uh, well, Tyler might get a kick out of this. Pizza Hut of Japan gave out a special edition of Snorlax. <laughs> Snorlax is a fat Pokemon that eats and sleeps all day. Okay. Yeah. Um, and there's cards of him. So, yes. Okay. Back in November, when he retired, Blake Martinez talked about having what is called the Illustrator card. And there's only like a handful of these that were made. And he apparently sold it for $672,000. But he says he made $5 million. So, like, even if, oh, he had one of the rarest cards, sold it for over half a million, they're still, we're still talking about another still four, and a, four half and a half million. million with these cards. Right. So, one of the, when I used to go to nationals every year, one of the things, <laughs> yeah, I kind of buried the lead there, didn't I? Uh, one of the things you'd always do is you'd always sell your commons and uncommons for, a, for like, a penny. <laughs> but you have to open, like thousands of packs to get the rares that you okay. could actually use okay. in your deck. Okay. So, and so you'd have hundreds of thousands of uh, commons and uncommons that you'd be like, yeah, give me a penny. Yeah, so here's the quote that he gave to CNBC. Every single day when I wake up, my shoulder doesn't hurt and my back doesn't hurt anymore. All that hurts are my fingers from opening like a thousand packs of cards per day, I think. I'm going to keep doing this. I so, mean, if I made five million dollars, I'd keep doing it. Right. Too. So I'm I'm generally under the impression he this is a volume thing. He is buying a just bleep ton of cards, opening them, throwing out the nine not throwing out throwing out, but setting aside the ninety nine percent that are sort of common, not worth has. very much, and the one percent of the time he gets the expensive one. And then goes and sells that is what I'm guessing is happening here. That he is spending. So the the other question I have is when how he, much has he spent? When he says he's made five million, is that his profit, or has he spent three million buying cards? Right. And has made you know two million, which right. is still phenomenal in seven months after retiring from the NFL. So a box used to be about a hundred and twenty dollars. 
and that would have, if I recall correctly, about 20 packs in it. And there was a card, Clay Doll in this case. We would buy boxes of this particular set of Pokemon cards, and one Clay Doll would cover your cost on the box. So you'd literally... By selling it? Well, yes, if you wanted to sell it, but it would literally just be, okay, I just got a $120 card. If you get two of them in one box, you've literally doubled your money. Okay, okay. So and this you're just selling them to collectors? Yeah. Yeah. Well, if he's working in the current set, there are current meta decks that you need specific rare cards in order to make the deck function, which, like, I have a friend who paid for his entire college by winning Pokemon tournaments. Wow. I don't think he, from all the stories I've read, I don't think he plays. Let's well, just collects. Yeah, That's probably sells. the smarter way to do it, to be honest. Yeah, less fun. At least you don't make the Minnesota state champion cry in front of you. All right, did you do that? Yes. All right, let's go. All right, we. Um, he, I purposely because my friend was ranked in the top ten in the world. I went to uh, I went to nationals with him, but I purposely ran a deck where the point wasn't to win; it was to stall. Just everything you did, I took away. But I wasn't going to win. You were going to win after an hour, and I made a fourteen-year-old girl cry. Because through how you played, because she well she would she would do damage to me and then I would go yeah no take it all away, and then she would go all right well I'm gonna knock out this guy no you're not, and I would just take all the it was just it was a frustrating experience. way to play for her forever I yeah, mean yeah. it wasn't fun for me either it was just the- <laughs> no no Jared sounds like the worst <laughs> yeah hundred percent Jared sounds like the worst here but I'm okay with making a fourteen year old cry. I'm on board with that. I'm not. <laughs> Little blonde girl just, just crying in front of you, and then at the end you go, no, no, you won. It doesn't feel like it. <laughs> she was the Minnesota champion? I think runner-up, actually, now that I'm thinking about it. Well, that's yeah, why she... she was crying. She had to go through you and still didn't win anything. <laughs> Finished in second place. So, uh, Blake Martinez, Ed, if you want to take all of your money and buy Pokemon cards and open them, thousands of packs a day you can make a few million you can also start a youtube you got a one dollar bill in your wallet yes one dollar you're about Look six dollars short one dollar bill i'm i'm impressed yep. a whole dollar store. ed usually has no money today yep. he's got a buck